Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, football, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate you listening in and making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. Looking forward to uh, this week's episode, which we're going to be talking about disputes and strikes uh, leading to more streaming uh, and collaboration, particularly on uh, platforms. This is uh, episode 34 of season five. And um, it's a it's an interesting topic uh, as we're sort of looking at this because you know streaming is is something that we do uh, we've talked about on this um, on this podcast uh, quite a bit and it's because it's such a fascinating um, transition at least for me uh, in looking at sort of how content is getting delivered and how it's being consumed right. And what that means for business and what that means for sports teams and how they're adapting to it. And of course, that affects all of us, right? Because from whether you're talking about a fan, you know, casual or, or um, you know, more serious or, you know, you're looking at uh, from a business perspective or whether you just like entertainment, you know, and, and you want to sort of consume film and television series, right? So as we look at this, we, we're sort of looking at this uh sort of nailing down the ongoing Hollywood strike with the actors and the writers. And then of course, some current uh, uh, carriage disputes um, uh, in terms of dis- uh, distributing, distributing content uh, and how both of those things together, I think are creating opportunities for some of these larger media companies uh, to look at new ways to distribute content to prevent and, or sort of guard against um, uh, sort of a lack of content either on the Hollywood front in entertainment or any sort of dis- disputes or delays in content and, and sort of looking ways to to prevent that from happening. And so the first thing we want to start with is we're looking at uh, Disney-owned ESPN and Charter-owned Spectrum. So anybody who has cable sort of probably should know what Spectrum is, particularly in Southern California, but also other parts of the country. Obviously, ESPN is um, the quote-unquote worldwide leader in sports. Uh, obviously, folks have heard of ESPN. So there was a dispute over the weekend, and uh, and it dealt with basically thousands of customers in the Denver, Colorado area were unable to watch the U.S. Open in Queens, New York, and the opening weekend of NCAA college football, or week one, uh, among other programming. So essentially the ESPN channels were down on spectrum. 
so this obviously made a lot of fans upset, people who pay for those packages. Uh, but it really also called into the question in question the remaining regional sports networks or RSNs where a lot of these um, ESPN programs were being distributed on. And of course, this continued move to streaming. Now, if we look at Major League Baseball, this has already happened, right? The Arizona Diamondbacks and San Diego Padres were the first two to really move to a streaming first uh, opportunity. And that was because of um, the dispute with Bally uh, through the Diamond uh, Diamond Group and uh, there being some bankruptcy there. And so, um, you know, ultimately the uh, the team had an option, the teams had an option to move that content back uh, to uh, their own distribution. And now MLB TV is hosting that content through Major League Baseball. And there's been a charge. So, if, for example, if you're a Padres fan or a Diamondbacks fan, uh, you can basically... Uh, pay an extra fee of, I think it was 20 something dollars to watch the rest of the season. Cause this happened um, during midway through the season. So it, it's been an interesting thing. And I think for most parts, it's been very successful. I've been calling for years to move to a streaming platform, uh, particularly for sports and to get rid of the blackouts uh, that occur uh, when teams are not able to show their games in local markets. Uh, to me, I think it just, it, it really, it's not a great thing for the fan base. It's not a great thing for the team. Uh, famously, if you were a Dodger fan, you remember that the last few years of Vince Scully, uh, famous, obviously, the late announcer, um, uh, were not a, people were not able to listen to him because the games were blacked out. You had to have you know, Spectrum or some other platform to do it. And I get it from a business perspective because Spectrum essentially saying, we own this content. We paid $8 billion for the Dodgers content or whatever they paid for it. And in terms of other markets, and they're saying we have exclusive right to this. We paid for this. We don't want to be able to show on other platforms. But I think Spectrum would be wise in future contracts to look for um, you know different ways to distribute and maybe take a percentage of those revenues because it's giving up its its exclusivity to distribute that content. So again, back to the weekend, uh, we had a situation where Spectrum was not able to show the ESPN channels because there's a a financial dispute amongst ESPN and Charter, Charter-owned Spectrum, uh, related to the cost of ESPN on the platform. And uh, ESPN wanted to charge more for their rights fees, and Spectrum essentially balked at it, no pun intended, and said, we're not going to you know, uh, sort of have that price. Because ultimately, that goes back to the customers. Spectrum is already losing customers when it comes to the traditional cable, so they don't want to raise prices. Uh, for something that its customers already have. Uh, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But essentially what happened was the Rockies were without um, the ability uh, as well for people to, um, you know, essentially see games because the Rockies appear on um, this sort of sports net program and uh, was not able to be seen, right? And so the Rockies are likely to follow suit with the National League West um, uh, particularly the, the uh, Diamondbacks and the Padres. And of course, this has happened in uh, Pittsburgh as well with the Penguins where they recently sold, um, uh, were sold back to the team essentially. And now they're, they're going to distribute it on their own platform. And of course, the Houston Astros are likely to do something similar on their Sportsnet Southwest. Now, um, it's interesting because the Pittsburgh Penguins um, which is the, obviously the hockey team. So we're getting out of baseball here for a second. 
the Penguins uh, purchased their RSN from AT&T, um, which was somewhat similar to Diamondbacks and Padres, except the fact that those those particular RSNs were going through bankruptcy, uh, which was not necessarily the case with the Penguins. They just bought it back. Uh, but I think it sort of shows this idea of being um, for, some foresight, saying, hey, we see where this is going. Let's purchase this content back. And uh, of course, the difference between the RSN, the regional sports network with the Penguins is that they're actually going to continue to distribute through traditional cable, which they think they're going to have more success with, uh, which you know may be true. And uh, maybe they'll look to some streaming opportunities as well. Now, again, as I mentioned, the Diamondbacks and the Padres are going to utilize MLB.TV, which is essentially the existing player or uh, MLB owned um, app for streaming distribution. Now, uh, what is sort of interesting about this is that, you know, these teams should really get to a point where, um, you know, they have some of these deals already in place because uh, it was reported recently that there are 73.5 million Americans set to place bets on just the National Football League alone in 2000, alone in 2023. And so that provides obviously for some terrific engagement for uh, those teams. Um, but it's something that if you don't have a place to watch the games, uh, clearly that's going to affect it. And of course, with anytime you're betting on something, the engagement goes to the roof. So there's clearly going to be some, uh, some opportunities here, but 73.5 million Americans is a large number. And I think it's somewhere near a 40% increase uh, of what, uh, what it, what it's, what it was, what it was in 2022. So clearly, uh, sports betting is on the rise. Now, going back to ESPN for a second, and you may be saying, well, why is ESPN trying to charge more for you know, its existing platform? Well, one, ESPN has been looking for cash, um, and it was sort of there's been rumors about it selling to Apple and other platforms. Uh, you know, Disney sort of looking at you know, maybe offloading it, uh, but it's also why Disney brokered the deal with Penn. Uh, for for a gambling sort of sports gambling sports betting deal for, um, I think it was in total three point five billion dollars, and the problem is is that if ESPN can't broker a deal with Spectrum, it's going to lose two point two billion dollars a year in fees. So that's pretty significant, um, and that basically in one year, uh, you're going to make um, nearly as much as they're making the entire sort of pin deal. So it it behooves both parties to really uh, come to an agreement. Um, and if you recall in the past, this sort of happened with Spectrum and the Dodgers and Charter and other groups um, where uh, there was some dispute over the pricing and everything else. But uh, ultimately, I, I sort of hope that they come to deal, deal and they probably will. Um, but, you know, the problem is, is that across traditional cable, uh, viewership is down. And so ESPN and Spectrum um, are really in a tough spot. And the RSN model is really um, seeming to be less feasible by the day. Uh, now, it is interesting because customers can still watch ESPN. They just have to use other streaming platforms like Fubo or Hulu, which is, of course, owned by Disney as well. And, and when you look at this, advertisers are continuing to see this and they're moving to streaming too, especially when you have uh, advertising and non-advertising options uh, for streaming uh, in, in sort of most uh, streaming platforms. Even MLB TV has limited commercials and it usually goes blank during um, 
you know, during, um, you know, sort of inning breaks that may change in the future as more eyeballs get on the content through the streaming, uh, you know, app. So, uh, and especially as the streaming app is used more for in market things like for the diamondbacks and for the Padres and, and soon to be the Rockies. Uh, but, uh, you know, so currently when you're using the MLB, MLB app, mostly it's out of town folks that are watching it, um, you know, to where, cause for the most part, if you're in market, you're blacked out from watching it, uh, because there's usually some local deal that prevents that from happening, barring some exception to that. Uh, I will also know that charter is actually facing class action, class action litigation, uh, for the loss of the ESPN channels, um, uh, in its, in its cable package. So, uh, charters, you know, going to see it from a financial standpoint, advertising standpoint, and from a viewership standpoint, and also potentially from a litigation standpoint. Now, look, going back to the deal making piece in this, if a deal is made between ESPN and Spectrum, uh, it's as always, it's going to require some compromise, some collaboration, and really some thinking towards the future. Uh, it could also mean that Apple or Amazon or another streaming business uh, come in and purchase ESPN and give it more uh, more exposure in a sort of uh, solidified streaming platform. Of course, it is interesting to note that Tubi, T-U-B-I, is another streaming platform which is owned by Fox, has recently reached 74 million subscribers. Uh, and so clearly it's moving up. And um, it, it's something, again, that I think you know, it's not seeing in the traditional cable model. So we're moving more towards streaming and more towards uh, subscribers in those platforms. Now, there was a quote recently that I was fascinated by, uh, and it was the Warner Group Music Group uh, CEO. He used to be with YouTube. Um, and uh, he had this sort of quote where he's talking about the sort of focus on revenue per user and uh, looking that looking at that as a model. And sort of taking a page out of Netflix, Netflix's playbook, um, which he sort of thought was like this smart thing to do, because you get into sort of this idea of uh, optimization and how that works per customer. And, and I agree with him. I think that when you're looking at cost, Netflix will often sort of fluctuate with prices and say, we're going to move up a dollar here, 50 cents here. And it really comes down to how many, you know, how many subscribers do you have? How many minutes are being viewed? How many hours are folks spending on the platform? What advertising is there available? Can you use that data to get more advertisers in the door? And then, you know, really um, how much it costs to create content versus how much you're, um, you know, charging for that in terms of viewership. And of course, this has a direct impact on the strike in Hollywood because if it gets to a point where, uh, you know, two of the major concerns in Hollywood amongst the writers and actors or can we get a percentage of the residuals if there is some with regard to streaming? And then the second piece being, which was which would really be a percentage of the subscriber money that comes in or in or at any advertising dollars, because not any resale of content like DVDs. It's You're just getting the money in from the streaming, which of course is one of the issues uh, in this whole sort of change entertainment model. And especially as people are moving towards more towards streaming and less towards the movie theater. But, you know, if that cost is made and decision is made to say, okay, there's going to be additional, um, you know, cost towards giving money towards residual, of course, that's going to have to go on the customer, right? And the customer is going to have to pay more for certain content. 
And uh, that that potentially could create an issue. Um, you know, customers already complain these days about, um, you know, there being too many platforms, it being too expensive. And we'll come back to that in a minute uh, in talking about bundles and ways that, you know, some of this content could be uh, maybe brought together and made more um, consumable, if you will, uh, you know, by people. So I think I think the CEO of Warner Music Group uh, is right on target. I think that um, you know clearly there's a way to look at um, price optimization and how that works uh, for uh, for for consumers, which really means um, how much it costs to post content and how much they're charging people. Uh, so we may be moving to, may be more towards a model where things are more expensive, like they are with cable, because it's clear to me that now because of technological innovation. Things are a lot cheaper. You can produce com content cheaper, and it's easier to distribute when it's on a platform, right? Which means they can charge less, because clearly you can see a lot more content on a streaming platform than you ever could on a cable network, and you still have to deal with commercials. So the model is completely flipped. Now, uh, again, so I think the essential component to this is going to be pricing. Um, and as I mentioned, this is where the strike with the writers and, and actors is really so imperative. Um, so we'll see sort of how that how that plays out. Uh, now, will the price increase to the point where cable prices are the norm in the streaming age? Maybe. Um, I think Hollywood could certainly learn from the music industry um, as it looks towards minutes listened to music and you know payment compared to hours viewed for like film and television. Uh, so sort of this whole cost per user and how that could play out and how that could be monetized. Now, it is interesting because Paramount uh, Global CEO Bob Backish has backed up this sort of idea of increasing prices uh, when he came out and said at a recent conference that Paramount Plus platform costs would increase. Now, of course, he's got some wiggle room because that platform is a lot less expensive, in some cases by $10.00 per month than the others. Now, of course, you can make the argument that there's less content on Paramount Plus than on, let's say, Netflix or or on, you know, Max or on Disney Plus, but um, but it's different content. So I think as long as you've got great content, clearly Paramount has some of the most popular shows right now. When you're talking about Tulsa King or if you're talking about uh, Yellowstone or um, any of the other offshoots of that, uh, it's clearly been a very popular platform. Um, and, uh, I think it was mayor of Kingston was the other one, uh, very popular. So there's also something to be said about sort of the use of artificial intelligence and as a potential cost reduction. And I don't mean that from a talent perspective. I mean that from an efficiency perspective. So maybe you're using AI to distribute content. You're using it to suggest content. You're using it to increase sort of the sale of content. Let me give you an example of this. The the show Suits, which is so popular, there's something to be said about how the Suits show is um, so prominent on, on the platform that it exists on, right? And you're putting it out there. It's right there when you log in. And it's just, it's very prevalent. So people see that go, oh, this looks interesting. And people are intrigued by it and they watch it. As opposed to other content that's maybe on, you know, uh, several pages back, if you will, right? Uh, as you're looking through the platform. Now, I want to kind of go back to music a little bit because the streaming is so comparative here when you're talking about streaming for sports or streaming for music or entertainment. So Spotify CFO Paul Vogel recently 
was discussing his company strategy at Spotify and saying how they've had great success when you're talking about free and paid streaming services. And of course, they've also, they're also using an AI disc jockey to help uh, customers select music list and give suggestions and that sort of thing. And it really is helpful because I know that when I use Spotify um, and other music platforms, it, it's very helpful. And I listen to a lot uh, more music and different music because things are being suggested. And I think that's really helpful. You become more knowledgeable uh, in, you know, in music in that sense. And, um, but he was sort of saying, you know, and and I'm sort of thinking about this in a way of, um, hey, AI has helped sort of use it in a way that's creative in the sense that can help sell more and help distribute more content. And he was also saying how having it free uh, in some sense allows for streaming to um, the streaming platforms to display more music because you're not worried about cost, right? Uh, whereas if you pay for a certain platform, uh, you're looking for a more sort of uh, bespoke option, something that's more catered or tailored to what you sort of want. And you pay for that and you say, all right, I don't want any advertisements versus the free one, um, which is sort of paid for by advertisements. And I think some of the streaming platforms for entertainment are learning this as well. Uh, and of course, um, Spotify is looking into more uh, podcast as well, particularly uh, video and non-video variety to help continue to add to its library. Uh, and of course, um, eventually, I wonder if Spotify will get into books, particularly auto books, and pushing it on the platform as well. It might be something uh, down the road, but we'll sort of see. Uh, but again, I think streaming platforms could could utilize some of this knowledge in terms of uh, you know how content is distributed and, and sort of where it goes. Now, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, uh, particularly when it comes to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav who said recently at a conference that um, the ongoing strike uh, and sort of issues in distribution will likely lead to more bundles to help share in cost. Now, the specifics of this were not discussed, but um, you know, in the past, there's been bundles between uh, telecommunication carriers like T-Mobile and uh, um, um, AT&T and Verizon, and let's say Netflix and Max or whatever, um, you, know, you might see a little more of that. You might see certain platforms, you know, sharing each other's content. So maybe Disney will, you know, put its content on another platform or Warner Brothers and Paramount will do something or maybe there's a merger. Uh, maybe one of the bigger companies buys Paramount. We'll sort of see, but clearly there's going to be uh, some bundles to help share costs, but also increase distribution and reach. And look, collaboration is good for customers, right? Because it potentially means lowering the paywall and increases access to content. Uh, but it also, short of a merger or acquisition, it sort of helps businesses keep their autonomy as well so companies can stay competitive. Um, now, of course, when I look back on this, I can't think of uh, too many collaborations that were sort of looked upon negatively in the streaming age um, or that ended badly. Uh, mostly think that they've been positive and received well. Uh, but you know, I might be wrong in that, but I just, nothing comes to mind when you're talking about collaborations. So I, again, I think uh, there is going to be more collaboration. I think that's the the right way to go and the likely way to go. Um, it is also of note that Warner Brothers Discovery is going to uh, provide its live sports content on the Max platform for free, no additional cost, to, at least to start. Uh, I think there's going to be probably an increased cost if you're watching playoff or sort of more sought after matches. 
uh, sort of going back to the paper pay-per-view model, which of course is in Warner Brothers history uh, because of its HBO background. So um, again, there's likely to be, um, you know, a cost increase. But I, I think it's interesting because through these disputes and negotiations, there's clearly going to be an opportunity for streaming uh, collaboration um, and growth. But um, again, folks, that's it for this week. Uh, again, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports law topics. Thanks again for listening in and making us number one sports law podcast in the world. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Online, and look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much.